0: Udi is a travel photographer, speaker, teacher, and artist. He's always been fascinated by the secrets this world holds. And after several years of traveling, documenting, and collecting stories from around the world, um, professional photography became the next natural step. He's an honored graduate of the Brooks Institute of Photography in California, has had his work displayed in exhibitions worldwide, and has published in various media outlets internationally, including the National Geographic Channel. Now back in Israel with his... Partner, wife, wife, partner, wife, and daughter. Udi documents the country's varied cultures, people, and natural beauty, but you also travel because you, before here you were in Peru. Please join me in welcoming back to Orange County the famous photographer Udi Gordon. Thank you. This time I, I feel I have to li- live up to all these expectations. Very stressful. All right, thank you for having me again. It's it's kind of feels like home. Lots of familiar faces. So it's nice to see a lot of you on both sides of the pond. And um, it is my pleasure to come back here and discuss with you. So last year was the 70th uh, anniversary of Israel. And it also marked two years ago, marked 50 years to the Six-Day War, which meant 50 years to going back to the old city of Jerusalem. And in light of that, Jerusalem had a lot of, um, a lot of attention given to it. And this past year, even more so. And I wanna do a little bit, I know a lot of you have been there, maybe even all of you have been there at this point. And I wanna do a little bit of a recap, speaking in different voices, speaking several narratives, and to kind of shine several different lights on this incredible, incredible city that to me, even though I'm born and raised in Israel, every single time I go there, I still feel like I'm a tourist. (laughs) So let's start with this line right here. 2015, the Supreme Court of the United States rules that people born in Jerusalem, American Jews born in Jerusalem, will not be able to list Israel as their place of birth um, because the US has not yet recognized Jerusalem as the official capital of Israel. This is true to 2015. Since the day Israel was founded, of course, the US very much supported the foundation of Israel, but in terms of Speaking about Jerusalem, it always had it that the Jerusalem has to be agreed upon, mutually agreed upon, by both Israelis and Palestinians. And until such an agreement takes place, the United States, the official policy of the United States, was to treat it as, well, pretty much ignore it. Meaning, treating Israel as a sovereign country, but not recognizing Jerusalem as its capital because of the implications it had. Last year, something very different happened. Today we officially opened the United States Embassy in Jerusalem. Congratulations. It's been a long time coming. Almost immediately after declaring statehood in 1948, Israel designated the city of Jerusalem as its capital. The capital, the Jewish people, established in ancient times. So important. So, I'm a Jew. And we are the ones that made Jerusalem what it is. We are the ones that actually made Jerusalem important to the world. So... When President Trump says it's very important when he speaks about ancient times, I don't know if I can trust his words, because coming from a country that thinks that things that are 200 years old are ancient, I don't know if he has the right perspective, because when we talk about ancient, we go thousands of years back. And so we actually, as I said, we made Jerusalem what it is and When we got there, there was not much there. So if we actually look at history, well, maybe there were some people there. There were the Jebusites. Actually, Jerusalem has been inhabited for several thousands of years before we got there. But you know what? There was nobody of significance because they built some houses. They even made a wall at some point, but, They really didn't give it. It was a village. It was a large village at some point. But then we actually decided to make something great of it. And this is actually the first settlement of Jerusalem is known to us today. We've actually excavated on the southeast side of the old city and found some of the ancient wall. And it dates back, so 3,500 years BCE. That's when people just started inhabiting it. But really, it was about 2,000 years until houses were built, the wall was erected, and the Jebusites, one of the Canaanite nations, sat there and, um, and actually made it a town. So this right here is a part of the Jebusite wall. This is 4,000 years old very much accessible when you go to Jerusalem. Now, here's when we really made it great. So you might remember a king called Saul, and Saul's biggest achievement, do you remember what it was? (laughs) So Saul actually was the first king to make the joint the United Kingdom of Israel. Until then, we were tribes. We lived in the area for hundreds of years, but he was the one that actually decided he was gonna make a United Kingdom, and he did. But he actually just started the process, and it was King David that was the one who completed this process, and a United Kingdom needs a capital, and he started looking for one. And, and then he decided he was going to go to Jerusalem. And there were several reasons why he did. The first one is that it didn't belong to any of the tribes. So that means when he picked a place, he wouldn't be favoring anyone in particular, so not causing any conflict. The second one, it was pretty close to his hometown of Bethlehem and to his tribe of Judea. And then lastly, the city was already fortified. It was the up mountain. It had water, and it was a very good place to start creating his, um, his capital. So we start with King David. And this is the kingdom. And when you look at this, you actually kind of really visually see why there's another reason to put Jerusalem as the capital because you can actually tell it's pretty much in the middle. Middle east to west, not exactly the middle north to south, but since it's on a mountain, it's the highest area, it's the highest place in that area, so very strategic, half the distance to the Mediterranean or to the Jordan River. And just looking at this, it just makes perfect sense to put your, um, put your capital there. So remember when I said, when we speak archaeology, we go back thousands of years. This is the city of David. Still visited today. You can go in. It's still being excavated. Jerusalem, current Jerusalem, when you look at it, it's actually 24 feet above the original city of Jerusalem. So because all the people and all the nations we're going to talk about came there, built, reclaimed, built their own, and so forth for centuries after centuries, then the deeper down you dig, the more you see of our past. And when you go in here, you can actually see definitely... um, temple, you can see a street, you can see a palace. And through the findings there, coins, clay fragments, and so forth, they've been able to establish what what this place was. Now, this is going to be a recurring theme. So you know, two Jews, three opinions. Then when you talk about the city of David, So it's the general um, opinion um, in archeology span that this is actually where the original Jerusalem started, but archeologists in Israel are completely split in the middle. Some say that actually the kingdom of David, as we know it from the Bible, never actually happened. So there's no corresponding findings of such a huge kingdom in that time period like the Bible describes. Now, as I said, this should have been, it makes sense that this would have been the beginning of Jerusalem, the beginning of the city of David, mainly because there was water there. The Gihon spring that ran through this. So keep in mind, we're going 3,000 years back, fortified on top of a mountain, And it has water. It has water within the walls. So even if it's sieged, even if it's being attacked, even if it's at war, it's not a problem. You can still survive. Jerusalem is mentioned by the time that David gets there. It's already been mentioned in some scrolls 400 years before that. So we know it's a powerhouse. We know it's already a pretty significant um, city at the time. And David inherits, or not inherits, takes over, conquers the city, the wall, the buildings that are there, and the name. So Jerusalem at that time is called Yerushalem. Shalem was a Canaanite god, a Jebusite god. And it was custom at the time that even if you conquered the place, you took the name with you, sometimes changed it to your own language, but you kept the essence of the name. So really, Jerusalem is the city of Shalem, the city of the sunset god of the Jebusites, which we've kept. Over the years, it became... Hebrew. So Yerushalayim is the Hebrew take on that. So we get King David. Who follows? King Solomon. What's the relationship there? Father Father and son. Exactly. So King David, even though he had a lot to his name, he was punished. He would not build the first temple. Even though he made an amazing branding move. So he started the first capital. He wanted to name it after his dynasty. So he called it the city of David. And he made it holy. How did he make it holy? What was the holiest thing for the 12 tribes to the Israelites at that time? Coming back from the desert? The Ark of the Covenant. He brings the Ark of the the Covenant to Jerusalem, thus making it holy. So now the city of David named after his dynasty, is holy. But it's not until King Solomon comes around and he's the one that is going to make the first temple. He's going to build the first temple and he places the temple. He first of all, he takes the Ark of the Covenant. He places it on top of Mount Moriah. Does that ring any bells? Mount Moriah, where the binding of Isaac took place. Not only that, on top of Mount Moriah, we have the the, um, the fountain rock, which is where it's, uh, according to tradition, it says where the world began. So this rock on top of Mount Moriah is where the holy of holies of the temple is being set. The Ark of the Covenant is placed there. This place is only entered once a year, on Yom Kippur, by the high priest, and the rest of the time, no one is ever allowed to go in. This actually lasts for a pretty significant time period. And then, after several years, and notice how... Oh, I just... Excuse me one sec, I... So there's the timeline on the right, which is the beginning until now, where this gives you more of a perspective of what we're looking at. So we have uh, King Solomon setting up the temple and really creating a center for Jewish life. So the temple becomes not only a religious center, it becomes a social center. It becomes where people go to the market, where they exchange goods. And this becomes the the Jewish life, and not only worship, is really about that. And then, the Babylonians. Destroying the first temple, and we had 410 years, a pretty good run considering, and we are sent to exile the first exile of our people. So the Babylonians, their tactics was whenever they take over a place, they disperse the people so they would not revolt. So we're being sent to uh, Babylon for 42 years. When, at the end, the Babylonians are defeated by the Persians. The Persians, we get Cyrus. We actually loved Cyrus because he let the Jews go back. Not only did he let the Jews go back, he actually gave us religious freedom. And we come back, the first thing we do, rebuild the temple. The second temple is being built. Now keep in mind, these are people who were in exile. They come back, they have very little money, very little power, very little resources. So with whatever they got, they start rebuilding this second temple on top of the ruins of the first one. This is the first Shivat Zion, the return to Zion, a term that we'll be using for the next 2,000 years. So once we build the first temple, then we start creating a life around it again. But we are under the rule of the Persians. So at this point, starting um, the Babylonian conquest, we are no longer autonomous. Jews no longer have control over Jerusalem for many, many years. So then the Greeks arrive. The Greeks gave us um, really the best thing that came out of it is Hanukkah. But aside from that, It was pretty horrendous. Alexander the Great takes over Jerusalem, takes over this land in in general. The the, uh, Hellenistic Empire takes over. And they are horrible. They're horrible. They desecrate the temple. They loot it. They use it. They use the money that they take, the silver, the gold. They sell it. They use it for their own needs. And they actually start forcibly converting Jews to their Hellenistic culture, thinking that these barbarians don't know any better. We should teach them, show them what modernity is, and they're trying to forcibly convert. And this is the first time, really, where religious persecution is recorded in world history. Now, this causes a huge divide within Jews. The elite Wants to keep their status. They want to keep living well. They want to keep the lives that they've had. So they convert. They convert. They become Greek. They become Hellen- Hellenists. And they actually still keep their power. They have a lot of influence within the, uh, the Greek government. And they maintain high positions. The high priests actually go to the extent of bribing the Greek commissioner, offering them... Loot from the temple in order to become high priest, because this means they're actually ruling the Jewish people. So the first one does it, and then the one that's gonna replace that wanted to replace him, um, a distant cousin, offers the commissioner an even higher bribe. When he does, obviously the commissioner accepts it. He realizes the new priest realizes he can't really do anything about it because there's no such amount of money that he can actually get to bribe the commissioner. So he really loots the temple. And at that point, after all the persecution, after this looting, the desecration of the temple, we get a revolt. And what happens is that the Greeks are actually Losing power because their empire has extended so much that they're fighting so many other forces. The Hasmonean take advantage of it and they gain control over the kingdom. They actually defeat the Greeks and they manage to hold power for 77 years. The first time in centuries where there's Jewish rule over Jerusalem since the Babylonians. So they chase away the Greeks, they hold power, and then they actually start believing that they're a little more powerful than they are. Now, we all know the story of Hanukkah, right? We know how few against many defeated the Greeks, chased them away, saved the, saved the temple, the menorah lighting, and so forth. But... Now there's a much stronger power that comes into play the Romans. And the Romans are definitely not the Greeks. And what happens at this time is that the Romans take over, they completely fight and really just annihilate any sign of previous revolts, and they put on a local king because they don't want to rule over the four nations that they take over, and they instate King Herod. King Herod, also known as Herod the Builder, he loved grandeur. He loved to build monumental buildings. And the temple, that has been in existence since the Babylonian exiles returned, so not very impressive, he takes this on as a project, and he not only reinforces it, he significantly expands it very significantly, and creates this huge monumental site that is um, that is uh, cited. In uh, letters from these days as people said if you you have not seen a beautiful building if you've not seen a Herodian one so this is what Herod's temple looks like so you can see that this is the original platform Solomon's original platform and then what he does is he reinforces all around he builds a fort on the northern side so Jerusalem was built in such a way that it had valleys on three sides aside from the north the north has always been the weak link of Jerusalem so he builds a fort there he actually builds a palace on top and thus creating the Temple Mount that we know to this day and then the revolts do not cease and since they don't, eventually the Romans take down the temple. 70, uh, in the year 70 CE, the second temple is being destroyed. The Jews are again sent to exile. Well, the people who were sent to exile actually had it best. The ones who were taken in as slaves or gladiators had it worse. It is said Josephus Plavius, the Roman historian, says that after the second temple has been destroyed, there has been an inflation in the Roman Empire of slaves and gold. There was so much looted, taken away from Israel, so many slaves taken away from Israel that there's just, they just lost value over the entire empire. And then, this is where we're going to stop this this, um, this part of the story. Because there is one huge missing part of the story. So the Jewish guy that was here before me, had all these great history about creating Jerusalem and why it's important and all this creation of of the city. But really, the biggest event in human history happened 70 years before this event that he's describing. You ever heard of this guy? Nice Jewish kids. Nice Jewish kids. So that's right. So maybe the least known fact about Jesus is that he was Jewish, right? So the life of Jesus actually starts not far from Jerusalem, Bethlehem, which is at those times, a day's walk away. And he spends his life raised in Nazareth, so he doesn't actually grow up there. He goes up north to Nazareth, um, northwest of the Sea of Galilee, when he's raised as completely as Jewish, actually referred to at some point in his life as rabbi. And when he starts with his religious hallucinations or religious teachings, he's actually chased out of Nazareth because he is a purist. He thinks that the Jewish religion needs to be followed very strictly. And that's Not what he sees. He gathers followers and then he makes his way back to Jerusalem making miracles all along his path. Wherever he goes, gathers followers until he gets to Jerusalem. When he gets to Jerusalem, the first place that he goes to, remember this is about the year um, 30. So still we have a temple and this is the center of Jewish life. So that's the first place he goes to. And he goes there, and he's horrified. Horrified. There's money changers. There's a market there. There's prostitution. There is all these unholy things in the house of God. So he starts preaching. He chases away the money changers from the temple. And he gets on everybody's nerves. Nobody likes him. Because first... Remember, it's all about power. Whoever has control of the temple has control of the Jewish people, has control of all the offerings, has control of a lot of money. So they don't want to be scolded. They're not going to be given a lesson by this kid that didn't even grow up there, this nobody. And he goes there, he has following. So now when he gathers following, he gets a lot of attention from the Romans because they don't want any other power. They've put someone in charge of the Jews. They don't want anyone else to gather any kind of power. So nobody likes him. And then he gets tried, he gets crucified, resurrects, goes to heaven, and dies as a Jew. But what the Romans did not know, that by doing such, They actually created this new religion. So this is the Romans. And I speak on behalf of the Romans because they're actually the ones responsible for doing this. If it weren't for them, he hasn't died a martyr. This life story would have been completely different. We wouldn't have had the cross. And all of this happens. But 300 years later... Christianity is so powerful all across the Roman kingdom that the emperor himself decides to convert to Christianity, thus creating the Byzantine Empire. So now it's no longer the Roman Empire. Now it's the Byzantine Empire. Now the irony is that the Romans themselves build the first church to commemorate the story of Jesus where he was crucified, died and resurrected. So they are building this church on top of the place that they themselves crucified, tried and executed Jesus. Now this begins the story of Christianity in Jerusalem. So we have the Via Dolorosa, if you've ever heard about it, the road of agony the road where Jesus took. And to this day, we still believe. So the empire, the the emperor that converted, actually sent his own mother to scout the land, to look for the signs of the Savior. And she went there, and she's the one responsible for the Church of the Holy Sepulchre that's been around now almost 2,000 years. So... She asks around and she gets the whereabouts of where he was crucified. This is Golgotha. If you go in to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, on your right, there is a staircase. You go up. That's according to what she was told. He was crucified. Then you go downstairs. This is right at the entrance. After he died, this is where he was anointed. This is where his body was Um, anointed in oil and he was being getting ready to be buried and of course they found the cross 300 years later people were pointing out the exact cross for her and they told her where his tomb was so this is the tomb of Jesus how do we know it really is the tomb of Jesus we as in Christians there is absolute proof It's empty. He resurrected. So because this is such a big deal for everyone, this church over the years was expanded and built upon and built upon and built upon. And actually today, there are six different churches in this one very elaborate building. There's the Greek Orthodox. There's the Armenian, the Roman Catholic, the Egyptian Copts the Syriacs, and the Ethiopians. Because of this, you might imagine that they might care a lot about this place, and it didn't go so well. So for the past 900 years, there has been a deal with the key to the main door. A Muslim family holds it. One family member is responsible for locking and opening in the morning and in the evening, and a different family member is responsible for holding the key during the day. But none of the Christians get any access to the key. It actually became so bad at some point that when they tried to clean up the church, It was just impossible because nobody would even let go of a broom, let alone move their seat. So on the top, you've seen before that there's a rotunda on the roof. The columns on the rotunda are divided by the different churches. And you're not allowed to sit in someone else's, by someone else's column because this would and have resulted in violence. So... This is what happens, and then we come into play. And we actually don't mind the other two guys. We believe what they believe in, same prophets. We believe in Abraham. We believe in the Father. We believe in, the, um, in, in all our um, ancestors. We even believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but we're just the 2.0 version. We took this and, and went on with what was happening in the world because there was a new prophet that came to the world, Muhammad. And in 638, we take over Jerusalem. And we actually are fairly, fairly liberal, specifically considering that the, the people before us The Romans and the Byzantines completely forbade the Jews from entering Jerusalem or definitely not going in to worship. The Temple Mound was abandoned. There's really no mention of it for centuries. And then, since we're here, since we know the history, but since we have this new prophet, we actually welcome the Jews back, we don't give them freedom, not, ne- neither do the Christians, because the Temple Mount should now be what it really should be, devoted to God in a way that honors the Prophet Muhammad. So in the year 691, we built the Dome of the Rock, and I'm sorry. Yes, we build the Dome of the Rock. Several years later, we build the El-Aqsa Mosque. And these two places are really honoring our history. Because the Dome of the Rock actually sits over the Fountain Rock. Over the same rock where the Holy of Holies was. Because we also believe this is where the world originates from. No. no. Not on the Temple Mount. No. But they were given some religious freedom. Some. Not persecuted. Whereas the rulers before them were definitely persecuting. So we create this. So first of all, this is even more important than the, the second place. Because... The Al-Aqsa Mosque is where Muhammad actually went to. So Al-Aqsa in Arabic means the farthest place. And the Quran specifically says that Muhammad went from Mecca to the farthest place, which has to be this, because this is holy, right? We already know it's holy. It has been holy for 1,500 years. So it must be it. So we create this mosque. And then we also have the Dome of the Rock. And the Dome of the Rock, as we discussed, is what holds the sacred rock. That's what holds the fountain rock, which is where the world originates from. And actually, the story also says that Muhammad went to the sky after meeting with an angel. Well, if you look at the rock, This is a top view, so you can't really notice. But if you look at it from ground level, it's a little tilted. Reason being, as Muhammad was going up to the sky, the rock started going up with him to the sky until the angel stopped it and kept it there. But it did did start shifting, and it's tilted up till this day. When the Messiah comes back, the fountain rock, and... The Kaaba in Mecca would be united in heaven. And this is where all people would be judged when the angels sit on top of these rocks. So just pointing out that we reclaimed the Temple Mount. So it was Jewish. Then it was Roman. And I'm I'm not sure I've mentioned this. So the Roman actually had a temple for Jupiter on top of the Temple Mount, making it their own. Then when the Byzantines came, when they replaced the Romans, they had a church up there on top of the Temple Mount. And then we came and we stopped the desecration of this place and we built another holy site on the same spot. And then these guys arrive. The Christians are back. They have a lot of power this time and we're fighting them back and forth. They're ruthless. We, for at least give some freedom to the foreign um, religions around us, but when these guys come into Jerusalem, they slaughter whatever is in, on, in their way. They actually clear Jerusalem from Jews and Muslims during a 150 year, ruling period but it goes back and forth so it's for many many years it's Muslim and Christian or Crusaders then Muslim again then Crusaders again and every time the um, the um, we actually have to be more more forceful in order to combat it and kick Christianity further and further away but it actually does happened for a very long time until a new Muslim empire comes around, the Ottomans, the Turks. They expand. They take over. They finally kick the Crusaders out of there. And they actually do some monumental construction. They rebuilt for the fifth fifth time the wall around Jerusalem a wall that would last centuries, a wall that we actually see to this day. So not only do they, um, do they rebuild the wall, they actually take care of Jerusalem very well, and they're also very tolerant of other religions in, on their empire. So Jews are actually welcome back to Jerusalem to worship, not in the Temple Mount, Because now it's not theirs anymore. Now it's ours. And this period of time actually extends for 400 years where Jews actually come back to the Jewish quarter. They live there. Jews all over the Ottoman Empire actually start going back and kind of rebuilding the the population all over. Christians as well. We don't care about other religions as long as they pay their taxes. And then the next power to be comes into play. And this is when we come into play. So the, after World War I, the Turks lose power. The British mandate takes over this same land, takes over Jerusalem, and starts dividing us. Dividing us as in the people who live in Jerusalem. Some of us are Jews, some of us are, uh, are Arabs, or are Muslims. Some of us at this point are Armenian, because the, um, the Crusaders started bringing Armenian, who were Christians, they started bringing them from all over the kingdom, because after slaughtering everyone else, They had no one to live there. So now we also have Armenians. And the Brits are not entirely sure what they want to do with this piece of land. Sometimes they're in favor of us. Sometimes they're absolutely not. And at some point they decide that they're just gonna leave. It takes a pretty significant struggle on our behalf. It takes World War II It takes the Holocaust, but then finally the state of Israel is founded. So in these 30 years, we fight the Brits, but we also do our diplomacy. Our first president is actually a very, very well-connected Jew in Britain, Heim Weizmann. And he actually gets a lot of benefits from the, British, uh, from the B- British government. Eventually, the Brits leave. They pretty much leave overnight when the country is at a civil war. The Arab population and the Jewish population is fighting each other in the same piece of land under the British mandate. And the Brits are not very keen on taking care of it. So they end up just leaving and leaving us at war. So the the civil war overnight turns into our war of independence. The neighboring armies joined the war. They didn't dare to attack the British when they were there. But as soon as they leave, the neighboring armies Attack and they bring on Iraq as well, which is not a neighbor, but definitely goes into war with us We end up winning the war. We end up getting our own state, but We end up losing the holy sites Jordan keeps them and When Jordan keeps them that means that we don't have any access to the holy sites to the Temple Mount to the Western Wall, and to the ancient city of Jerusalem. This keeps on for several years. Actually, up until 67. In 67, this is, by the way, this is pre-67. This is what the city was like. So the city of Jerusalem was divided in half. Up until 67 actually if you've been to Jerusalem if you've seen the light rail that we now have this was where the border was this is where a fence went all around the city and you couldn't cross it there was one border crossing not many people used it because who wanted to go to an enemy state and there was a buffer zone this Who's been to the Mamila Mall? Well, this is where you are right now. You're looking from the Mamila Wall to the Tower of David, to the Old City Wall, right here on the left, right outside the picture, that's the Jaffa Gate. And this is no man's land up until 67. This is a buffer zone. Nobody can go there. But, this, at this point, not only are we a Jewish state, But we are a Jewish democratic state. So up until 67, we don't wait around. We actually start building the state. We set up our parliament. We set it up in Jerusalem. That's our capital, even though it's split in the middle. So we set up our our parliament. And this is not the parliament that you know from here. We have 120 parliament members. They have to form a coalition in order to form a government. And, um, and this is one of the very, very first things that we do. We also set up the court. Actually, the Supreme Court was already in Jerusalem. The Supreme Court has been in Jerusalem even during the British mandate. And since it was there, when we gained control of Western Jerusalem, at the same spot we set up the Israeli Supreme Court from day one. The Israeli Supreme Court, not only is it an appellate court, it is also a constitutional court. We don't have a constitution, but the Supreme Court can overrule laws that are being set by the parliament as a part of of our system of checks and balances. And then very, very early on, we also start taking care of our spiritual lives because after 2,000 years... Now, keep in mind, the last time the Jews were, had sovereignty in Jerusalem was when the Hasmoneans did. That's 2,000 years prior to that. So there's 2,000 years at least 2,000 years of history that needs to be documented, It needs to be gathered, that needs to symbolize this new nation. And we set the Israel Museum very, very early in the 50s. And as the country starts, then we have all these archaeological discoveries. We find the Dead Sea Scrolls that tell us, tells us about our history 2000 years ago so we set up the shrine of the book to hold it there and this is really our prime prime uh, not only art institution but historical and cultural institution and then the Six Day War and after the Six Day War we take over East Jerusalem we take over the holy sites we go back to the place where we've been longing for and yearning for. And finally, 20 years after the establishment of Israel, Jews get access to the holy sites. The reason they were yearning for and hoping to go back to Jerusalem. But at this time, by 67, Jerusalem is a full-blown city. There's the market. Then years later, there's actually a huge cultural life. There's philosophy. Actually, the best parties in Israel take place in Jerusalem now. If you were ever to visit Israel in Purim, you don't go to Tel Aviv. You go to the Mahna Yehuda market. And the city at this point is not just a religious center. It is very much a secular, in, um, um, a secular center for Israeli life, not just Jewish life. Over the years, we have the different neighborhoods. Some of them become far more religious than others. This is Mea Shearim. Mea when it was founded, it was actually one of the first neighborhoods outside of the old city walls. But when it was founded, it was, it was religious right off the bat, but it wasn't as religious because when you look at photos from the early 20th century, you actually see men and women walking together not dressed as, uh, as covered as they are today. So the city really has changed in many ways. But since we're talking about 67, there's, one, there's another voice that has to be heard. All of a sudden, there's another Nation. There's another nationality in play. So we know the Muslims, right? The, the Muslims have been around for many, many years. But the Palestinians, well, yeah, now, now we're around. We're around because we have all this heritage from centuries of Muslim rule over the area. We have a heritage of being, uh, having our most, sa- or actually our third most uh, sacred um, site in Jerusalem. And some of us have been around for centuries and centuries. Some of our families have have been living in Jerusalem for many, many years. So what happens before 67, this is the way the city is split. This is West Jerusalem. This is East Jerusalem that is actually Jordanian. And we have been occupied throughout the centuries. So we've never had a, we've never had a state. Because the Brits wanted to set up the partition plan. They wanted to give us a country. We didn't agree at the time. So after the war, Jordan took over our part. So we all of a sudden became Jordanian. Throughout the 20 years until 67, We didn't like the Jordanians. It was better than being under the Jewish occupation, but we didn't want to be Jordanian. We wanted to be Palestinian. Actually, we rioted during these 20 years, and we wanted to have a sovereign state with Jerusalem as its capital. And now all of a sudden, 67 comes around, and now we're Israeli overnight. We won't have it. We have our national pride. We didn't accept the Jewish terms of being a part of their country. So we were never made citizens of the Israeli state. We only, we only remained residents up to this day. So all of East Jerusalem neighborhoods, who are, which are Palestinian, and this is Silwan, the city of David that we've seen before, is right here to the right of us. And this is the, uh, this, the, the part of the city that if you go right out of the Western Wall, you go out of the wall, you look over the valley, and that's what you see. So this is a part of East Jerusalem. These are Palestinians. Now, me as a Palestinian, this is my city too. Have you ever thought about the fact that the, what symbolizes this city is what we made? Have you ever seen a picture of Jerusalem without the Golden Dome? Have you ever seen a picture of Jerusalem without the walls that a Muslim ruler built? This is my city too. I should have power there. This should be my capital as a sovereign Palestinian state. But we've never been sovereign. From being, from being Jordanians, all of a sudden, we went to being Israeli. And to to this day, we're Israeli. But East Jerusalem is not just the religious center of our faith. It's actually the civil center. So the East Jerusalem market, who goes to Jerusalem and doesn't go there? Everybody knows it. If you go out of the Damascus Gate, this is the center of everyday life for us. This is where our main bus terminal that leaves and goes to all over the West Bank. This is where all our merchants are. This is the hub of our life in Jerusalem. So we feel that this is our city as much as the Israelis. Now, in recent years, it even became worse because now there's... A wall a safety wall but some of the wall actually goes inside East Jerusalem so if they call us Jerusalem if we are what used to be villagers from the Jerusalem area and now they've taken us over and now we're a part of Jerusalem so how come there are several neighborhoods like Abu Dis right here that are outside of the wall, but within the Jerusalem municipality. So who's going to take care of us? And don't think we don't have a say. So right, no Christian actually owns anything in Jerusalem. Actually, I'm lying. There is a lot of Christian property in Jerusalem many of the churches are owned by the churches themselves it's not Israeli territory and there is actually even a much more powerful statistic than that last year Israel saw 4 million tourists 2.4 out of them were Christian pilgrims that is A lot of money, that's a lot of money, and money talks. So we want to have our say. Not only that, here in the U.S. we have a very, very powerful lobby in favor of Israel. Actually just last week, last Friday, exactly a week ago, the heads of evangelical congregations from all over the U.S. were invited to Ron Dermers, the Israeli ambassador in Washington, they were invited to the embassy to be greeted and thanked for their work in favor of Israel. So last year, when this conflict heightened, we were definitely very powerful and very influential in making sure that the U.S. Embassy moves to Jerusalem. The person who gave a speech at the opening of the, of the embassy, John Hagee, he was there. He was behind the scenes. He was pushing very, very hard to make this happen. So the Christian voice is still very much heard all the time. And this is where we are today. So. If I get rid of the labels and go back to being me, I'll tell you this, Jerusalem, and I always say it to everyone that ever thinks about going to Israel, is probably one of the most interesting places on the planet. But I feel that without hearing, not necessarily accepting, but hearing and understanding the narratives that surround it, we might keep on fighting about moving embassies and struggling with terror and feeling underserved and underprivileged and disenfranchised. And Shalem, right? Remember, I'm taking you back 3,000 years ago. Later, Jerusalem was also named uh, after ta- uh, given a take on this word, shalem, to shalom. And if anything were to ever change, I venture a guess that that's where it's going to start from. Thank you very much for listening. Question? Please. i just to take up on your final remark about the name of the city, Yerushalayim. I once heard the theory that it was Ir Shalom, city of peace. Is there any credibility, is there any credibility to the name coming from Ir Shalom? Yeah, so Ir uh, Shalom is the later rendition. So as I've said, it was Yerushalem, then turned to Yerushalayim. But, so they say that there are 77 names to Jerusalem. So there's all these names. So definitely, Jerusalem is is one of them. Absolutely. Hold well, on. Did uh, you, as a photographer, have any um, difficulties in photographing specific parts of uh, Jerusalem, as, uh, you know, to follow your own interest? Yeah, absolutely. First of all. I'll give you the, the subjective um, uh, occurring or reoccurring theme. Wherever you go to a place that is constantly, constantly photographed, you would have people tired of being photographed. So that it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're in Jerusalem or Tel Aviv or wherever, you'd always find this. But because it is so, so, so sensitive, first of all, if you go up to the Temple Mount, which Is I feel one of the most beautiful places in the city very very different than anything else if you go up there and you have more than one camera and more than a lens or two They would ask you questions and most likely won't let you go up um, because in order to film up there so Control over Temple Mount today is by the Muslim waqf, which is the Muslim authority in Israel so nothing gets done up there without their authorization. So unless you clear it with them, if you even smell like a photographer, they're not going to let you go up there. Then once you're up there, same thing. If you're just going to walk up to people's faces and start taking pictures, they might kick you out. They have, I wouldn't say autonomy, but they're extremely, extremely strict there. Now the other thing is that there's a lot of sensitive uh, security issues. So if you wanted to take pictures at the metal detectors or even just see the line, or whenever a certain personality, like someone, a VIP goes into into the city and you want to take pictures, it might not go over very well. Um, And then lastly, Shabbat, right? It's, it's all out in the open, but I wouldn't go to the Western Wall and take pictures when it's Shabbat, right? Even though legally I can, but this would definitely not go over very well. I guess I was coming at this more from the point of view of you wanting to capture for your records uh, photographs of Israel, or of, rather of Jerusalem, uh, and being stopped from, from doing that. Um, No, I feel that whenever I go, I actually just recently, um, three months ago, I was commissioned by El Al, the Israeli uh, air company, airline, um, to create a a stock of photographs from Jerusalem. So, you know, I created a list, but I went on my own terms, on my own time. I had, you know, um, all the time in the world to do this. So if you're doing this, if you get a chance to, you know, to, to go and, and speak to people and get permission if you have to and, and coordinate, then I I never encountered anything like that. I would tell you, so going back to the first thing I told you that whenever people are being taking photographs of a lot, they get sick of it. If you go into the Church of Holy Sepulchre, there's the... Um, the priest who's responsible for the entrance to the tomb same guy bushy beard um, he doesn't like to have his pictures his picture taken so if I and but whenever I'm there I'll take his picture but every time I'll have to go up to him you know chat for a minute or two maybe ask permission to see depending on his mood um, so just in that regard more, more of of a, pers- of a personal um, relations. But I've never felt, aside, again, aside from safety issues or, or security issues, when they tell you, you can't go in, you, take, you can't take pictures, I've never felt. Let's do one, one last one. Hi, Udi. Hey. Hi. Um, so you're a born and raised Israeli. That's and right. so we know where you are in that flip chart. Where do you see the next page going? Given your, just given what you've studied about the history, what do you think the next page is gonna be? And also, has having a daughter, a daughter? A daughter. Changed anything for you with regard to how you view this? Yes. Yes, it has changed. Um, That's a, that's a, Ari, how long do we have? (laughs) One minute. One minute, okay. Um, yes, it has definitely changed. I would say that even though I try to be very, uh, I want to say, realistic about things, I am at this point not very optimistic about this. Um, tension in Jerusalem is, is rising. It's been high. And, you know, speaking about Jerusalem, is kind of like speaking about all of Israel. It's the microcosm of, of where everything kind of pours into uh, or funnels into. Um, Tension is high. I don't see any significant change happening in the near future in neither side. So Trump has stated he has the solution, like he's going to solve this. But then if you listen to both of the other sides, if Israelis and Palestinians, we're already rejecting it. Both sides are rejecting it. They haven't even heard what the plan is, but it's out the window. Um, and, and yeah, and having a kid is is getting me a little more fearful for her future i i don't want her to live i don't want her to grow up at the same circumstances that i did and i had the most protected childhood anyone in israel can have and still when i when i when i was during my military service the the bus station that I used to take a bus from every single day was blown up three times. I wasn't there, luckily, but I was there the day before. I don't want her to grow up like that. Why should she? So that's that's where home is. That's where my family is. That's where my friends are. That's where my heart is. I, I love the land. I think I truly, truly, truly think. Israel has the potential of being the best place on earth. I honestly believe it. In any aspect you choose, technology, medicine, culture, archaeology, anything. Um, But I think we're at a process. We've only been around for 70 years. The Israeli-Palestinian conflict has been around for 100 years. 120 years um, It's a process it, it will be solved if you ask me it will be solved and I believe it will be solved in my lifetime The question is what happens until then? So You're an optimist and a pessimist at the same time. <laughs> I want to say realist, but <laughs> So thank you for joining me on my close